Oze is a mobile platform that empowers small business owners to make data-driven decisions. And basically what we do is we aggregate transaction data and then analyze it in the context of all the data that we're collecting to provide recommendations that are grounded in the economic realities of these entrepreneurs. This is Groundbreakers, a show about social entrepreneurs and the innovation they lead. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Groundbreakers Podcast. I'm your host, Sebastian DeBurs. On the show today, we have the founder and CEO of Oze, Megan McCormick. Welcome, Megan. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on the show today and sharing with us the story behind Oze. Yeah, so I was living and working in West Africa in a country called Guinea-Conakry, and I had started Guinea's first business accelerator. And I think what made it unique is we were a small and medium enterprise accelerator. So our goal was companies with 10 employees, getting them from my idea to 10 employees. And as we started scaling and having more and more entrepreneurs in our portfolio, it was harder and harder to support them. So I found myself like getting in a bush taxi for, I don't know, 10 hours just to go out and look at somebody's paper ledger book and typing it into my computer and throwing it through an Excel model that I'm like, the only value I'm adding right now is the fact that I own a computer and I have fingers. Like I wasn't even thinking about it. And so we said, We need to do something that's more real time. We need to be able to help these entrepreneurs make sense out of their data and and use it to make better decisions. So I started looking and said, okay, what can I buy? What can we use? And found that there was nothing there. And so I launched Oze to be an internal tool to support the entrepreneurs that Dare to Innovate had invested in. And after that, realized that the pain we were feeling as an organization was incredibly widespread. And so that was the, the starting point. And as we started to evolve, my background's in human-centered design, so we were working directly with small business owners, and we started moving away from designing for the needs of nonprofits and other organizations, and closer and closer to each iteration, to designing something for a small business owner that they would pay for, and that's what Oze has turned into today. So how did you, you know, even get to Guinea in the first place? Set up an accelerator, and that accelerator was named? Dare to Innovate. That was the accelerator. How did you get to Guinea in the first place? Right out of college, I joined the Peace Corps, and I was sent to Guinea as a community economic development advisor, which is one of Peace Corps, I think, little-known programs. They send business people to work with small enterprises. And when I was invited to Guinea, I'd never even heard of the country. The program had been shut down, so we were tiny, we were reopening it. And I went there, and going to a country like Guinea, and I think more broadly, a region like West Africa, there is so much to do. It's like a, an entrepreneur's paradise because I believe that the best enterprises come from solving problems and solving frustrations. And there's no shortage of these in West Africa, but also in seizing opportunities. So the demographics are changing. There's a lot of young people. Smartphones are revolutionizing access to information. Incomes are rising. So you have this, this combination of high expectations and, and low infrastructure that create a, a wonderful opportunity to start companies. 
And so did you sign up for Guinea specifically or you said you were invited to Guinea? I mean, oh, yeah. So so back in the day, um, you applied to the Peace Corps and you said, I'll go anywhere and do anything. Wow. And Is that so, what you did? Yeah. I said to my recruiter, I said, um, I know we're supposed to be really open, but I really, really, really want to do economic development in French speaking Africa. And she like laughed at me and said, oh, my God, that's what you want to do. Like nobody matches your profile. You can absolutely go there. So I was expecting <laughs> Senegal or Mali or Togo. And I ended up you get this big blue envelope in the mail and you open it up and it tells you what country you're going to. And I'm yeah. like, Guinea. <laughs> Where's Guinea? And it was just a life-changing experience. Yeah, but but me and our listeners are just as surprised as the supervisor at the Peace Corps when we say that's a unique profile. Why did you want to go there? You know, that's my question. Like, what really you're explaining how you got there, but not why. You know, tell us some more. Yeah, it's it's really funny when I, I told some of my childhood friends that I was joining the Peace Corps out of college, they said, Yeah, of course you are. So I think people around me, I'd been talking about it my whole life without really realizing it. In undergrad, I studied finance and theater and performance studies. I was very interested in the creative arts and problem solving and co-creating as a community. And then somehow ended up as a management consultant. So I interned at the Monitor Group and it was a fantastic company. They have a tight partnership with Teach for America. So in our last week as interns, they invited Teach for America in to say, this is what our program is, and if you want to join Teach for America, we'll hold your job for two years. And so after it, I went up to the man running the program, and I said, well, what about for the Peace Corps? Would you do that for the Peace Corps? And so I 100% thought, I'm going to Guinea, or well, at that point, I'm going somewhere for two years. I'm going to get real on-the-ground experiences. I was always interested in emerging markets because I think the problems are more interesting to solve. And then I'm going to come back and be a consultant and, and become a partner and you know go to business school and have this like very linear career path. I did do some of that. I came back from the Peace Corps, um, but at that point, I had already founded Dare to Innovate. I was a management consultant for almost three years doing Dare to Innovate on nights and weekends. And once it got too big, I left that job, worked on it full time, and then started school and have been and running it um, and going to school. And then about just under two years ago, we started exploring Ozai as an independent company. So at this time, when you're a management consultant by day and entrepreneur by night, uh, you said Dare to Innovate became too big. First of all, what is Dare to Innovate? Tell us more about it. Yeah, so Dare to Innovate is a youth-led movement to end unemployment in West Africa through investments in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. And we mostly work in Francophone Africa because if you look at how resources have been deployed, where accelerators exist, the rate of small businesses and small business success, and actually just the rate of economic development, there's a huge divide between English-speaking Africa and French-speaking Africa. And so we had this great opportunity there to really launch something in Guinea. So we started it as a Peace Corps project. We worked with local counterparts. It was seed funded through this Peace Corps grassroots funding platform. Very nimble, everyone working on it was a volunteer. And that was kind of what the plan was. We recruited unemployed youth who had gone through a basic entrepreneurship training program. Youth in Guinea face more than 70% unemployment rates. And it's higher the more educated you are. So there's all these college educated youth who are forced into necessity entrepreneurship or being unemployed or working in a subsistence farm. So 
We took them from a problem they wanted to solve in their community through to a market-based solution using this kind of hybrid model. A lot of stuff that I learned from theater because I did new work development, participatory strategic planning, human-centered design, some stuff from Outward Bound, and then also like business skills, like how to analyze a balance sheet. And the results were transformational. Something as little as naming somebody a social entrepreneur, we gave all these young people business cards it changed their self-identity. So even before they had launched anything, you would see them introduce themselves to some of our invited guests and say, you know, hi, my name is Ibrahim and I'm a social entrepreneur. And so it was amazing. And during our pitch day, we had a lot of influencers from the community there and they said, no matter what happens, this has to continue. And also at the same time, one of the last nights, we were looking around and we couldn't find any of the participants. And they had gone and had a secret meeting and said, you know, Peace Corps comes and goes, Americans come and go, but it's on us to continue this and make sure that this continues. And so what we had planned to do was hand it down through the Peace Corps. So I was in my second year as a volunteer. We had first year volunteers being apprentices and we were good like that. The second year, one week before we were supposed to have the, the accelerator program, Peace Corps Guinea evacuated because of Ebola. And so all of the volunteers involved had to leave and our funding had come through the Peace Corps. So we had to return our funding and leave overnight. And that was devastating. Oh, it must have been really devastating. We had to call all these people we had invited and said, remember when we told you that you were going to go through this program that you got selected for and that maybe you'd win financing to launch your business? Sorry, we're going home. Your country's too dangerous. Gosh, you've built this program, you've built these hopes, and then you leave. Exactly. And so we had to become financially independent. And so we actually put ourselves through our own process that we use with our entrepreneurs to figure out, okay, that model's not going to work. What do we do? And so we had a retreat. All of the founders actually got together in Oakland, California, in this Airbnb that we also used as an office space. And we kind of mapped out the future of where we were going to go. So in that, we expanded to a second country, to Benin, because we had to keep iterating on our curriculum. We had all this feedback from the first year that we needed to see if it worked. And if we waited till we could go back to Guinea, we didn't know when that was going to be. The seeds that actually became Oze were planted at this time because we knew that we had to continue to support these entrepreneurs, but we weren't in the country anymore. So how were we going to do that? How would we know how they were going to perform? The idea that, yes, we're a nonprofit, but we're a revenue-generating nonprofit. So from that day, Dare to Innovate, we are a nonprofit, but we operate completely off of earned revenue. So we sell our products and services to development agencies, to private corporations, and to governments, and then deliver the service that we've promised to deliver. And so that ended up working out. You ended up getting financial independence. You ended up making good on the promise to entrepreneurs. There were some dark days, though. (laughs) But there were some dark days, yeah. Yes. We had eight months where no revenue came in. We hadn't been able to pay our three and a half employees for about eight months. Uh, My co-founder was down to like the equivalent of a dollar in her pocket and had to find other work to pay her rent. And it was actually just around that time that I quit my job as a consultant. I went over there and said, okay, we don't know if this is going to survive, but let's see if me being in country and really focusing on it and just doing sales can turn it around. So the day that I left Guinea to come start my MBA at Sloan, 
we sold a contract with a development agency to do some really beautifully high margin consulting work. And that is what saved Dare to Innovate. But also that cash flow is really the most important thing for a small business. If it's for-profit, non-profit, cash flow is what can make or break you. And so I think that was really the moment where we said, okay, yes, revenue generating is nice, but we need to be aggressively for-profit in something so that we have enough money to cover the ups and downs of cash flow. So Oze is a for-profit independent company, but Dare to Innovate owns equity in it. So if Oze succeeds as we believe it will, then we will have enough cash to make sure that in between contracts, in between projects, international development is a very fickle industry that we can continue to deliver on our promise and even grow. And so from Dare to Innovate, we're trying to get to the next chapter in your story of social entrepreneurship. Let's pick a page from the chapter of Oze. When did this start? How does this start? It started as that little kernel at, at our leadership retreat. And I came, when I came to Sloan, I said, okay, I'm going to focus on Oze because I also believe that technology solutions, when done in the right way, are much more scalable than more high-touch solutions. And so I said, Let, let's start to see if Oze can work. And, you know, it became immediately apparent that Guinea wasn't the right market for Oze as a for-profit company. So I did the very basic, you know, MBA-style analysis where we put a bunch of countries in a table. We decided on different criteria, such as um, availability of talent, number of small businesses, per capita GDP, cell phone penetration, our networks there. And we ended up saying, okay, let's go to Ghana. And so in January of 2017, last year, we went and did stakeholder analysis. So we said we're going to play in this data space for small business. The problem we're solving is that small businesses don't grow. We think it has something to do with the fact that they're not using modern management tools. So we did co-creation workshops with small business owners, with investors, with bankers, with nonprofits. We brought everyone together and we tried to figure out, you know, how might we empower small business owners to generate their own growth? And the solution was the basic prototype of Oze. I went back last summer and we did a, what I like to call our minimum, minimum viable product, which was a working front end and no working back end. And we had 26 small business owners using the front end. Think they would say things like, the analysis just happens by magic. And it was really every night pulling the data down from our servers and me crunching the numbers. We created handmade dashboards pretty much save them as JPEGs, and WhatsApp them back to our users. And so they were feeling like they were using this this management software, this dashboard that was really human run. And even in just a one-month period, we had small business owners actually create new jobs in their company. We had small business owners better manage their costs, grow their top line. And so that was enough for us to say, okay, yep, let's double down on this. We have something here. We've been building it for the last year, and we launched our beta in April. And how would you describe this beta? How would you describe Oze kind of in a sentence or two? Like, what exactly does Oze do? Yeah, so Oze is a mobile platform that empowers small business owners to make data-driven decisions. And basically what we do is we aggregate transaction data and then analyze it in the context of all the data that we're collecting to provide recommendations that are grounded in the economic realities of these entrepreneurs. So if you are a small business owner and we say, oh, you have 18% margins, that means nothing to you. 
But we can say, you know, for every dollar, 18 cents are ending up in your pocket. And by the way, other business owners in your industry and your location, they're keeping 25 cents on every dollar. And it's because you're spending too much on inputs. And this is where you can go to buy less expensive inputs. So if you've ever used Waze, the crowdsourced traffic platform, we sometimes say that we're the Waze for financial data. Interesting. So where does the, where does the name Oze come from? So it comes from Dare to Innovate, because we operate in Francophone Africa, where we go by the French translation, which is Oze Innové. And so we took the Oze and we spelled it wrong, because we thought by having a word that belonged to nobody, it would belong to everybody. We had seen so many companies pick one small local language and name their company a word in that. And that's so alienating when you want to expand because you'll say, oh, you know, I'm not Fulani, I'm Susu. Why am I using this product that is using some other local language to name it? So Oze really means nothing, but to us it means to dare. Okay, and it's okay. You went to Guinea and you got yourself involved with this small enterprise community. You had some Peace Corps connection. How the heck did you go to Ghana and get involved in their enterprise community? (laughs) You had no ties there. How did you do that? Yeah, the MIT network was absolutely incredible. So MIT has been doing work in Africa for decades, and especially in Ghana. So when I decided that I wanted to go to Ghana, I, I'm a fellow in the Legatum Center, and they had entrepreneurs who had graduated and started companies in Ghana. And I started reaching out to people and said, this is what I'm trying to do. Who do you know in Ghana? Who should I be talking to? So in the month before I went to Ghana for the first time, I had phone calls pretty much every single day, setting up our interview schedule. So that by the time I got there, we had all the stakeholders lined up in in the larger sense. But then how do you get the small businesses, right? Because your typical small business who is our user does not have ties to MIT. We did two things. The first, we did Facebook marketing. So we put our kind of criteria online. You filled out a survey. If you met the criteria, then you could be in our pilot. And we also hired somebody local to work with us on the pilot. And part of the interview process to see how they interacted with small businesses was to go get 10 people to fill out that survey to see if they were eligible for the pilot. And so many people applied for that job and in doing so fed us a lot of small businesses. So so Megan, what are some impact stories of Oze? There, there are so many. I think what really surprised me, our pilot, we were trying to learn, would people give us their financial data in exchange for insights about their business? We didn't think the insights that we could provide in one month would really do anything. And we were so completely wrong on that. Because the paper ledgers are so broken, people know nothing about their business. So I sat down with a user and we used Oze to project what their revenue would be for the year. And he just sat there and said, wait, this means we made X dollars last year. And I said, yeah, if you sold this many websites at this price, yes. And he said, we've been talking all year saying, oh, we need to hire a business development person, but there's no way we can afford that. And he's like, and now I'm mad at myself because we could have afforded that last year and now we're behind where we should be. But my favorite story, we have a user named Steven. He he manufactures bar nuts, like peanuts that are coated in flour and sugar, and he sells them to bars, restaurants, and hotels. 
And he told me that three days after he started using Oza, he had this aha moment. And he realized for the first time that free samples were marketing expenses. Because he went out and bought the flour and the sugar and the peanuts and things he was always buying, but this time he had an app and he wanted to use it. He felt compelled to input his data. And we asked him to categorize this data. And that made him think, well, why am I buying these things? I'm buying them for free samples. This should be categorized as marketing. Oh my gosh, free samples are an expense. And so he started limiting the number of free samples he would give out on each customer visit, which obviously saved him costs. But I think his surprising finding was it also grew his top line because, you know, it seems intuitive once you say it out loud, but once customers realized that they couldn't get unlimited free samples, they converted from potential to paid much quicker. And that was just, you know, showing somebody their data back to them. He was able to make a decision that markedly improved his performance. And that was three days after he started using the app. That's incredible. And you know, if I'm trying to imagine from the perspective of a small or medium-sized business owner in sub-Saharan Africa, how can I plug into this app and interface? You know, what does it look like for me as a business owner to get started with Jose? It's super simple. So you can go on the Play Store and download the app. The first thing that you do is you set up a business profile. It takes probably about 15 seconds to do so. And the first action that you take is you record a transaction. So we use persuasive technology to build habits around changing financial behavior. And what that means is we set this lofty goal of becoming investment ready. But then we have all these intermediary steps that are in an entrepreneur's stretch zone so that they're growing and learning and then they're achieving something. And then they're growing and learning and they're achieving something. But because of that model, we start really simply with tracking cash in, cash out, I owe them money, they owe me money. So you can learn the system, you can self-teach yourself. It's very easy to learn the system. And we're optimized for a cash-based economy because while mobile money is an exciting trend, it's still not the reality for most small business owners and most transactions. So in as little as three clicks, you can collect proof that the transaction occurred, what category it was in, and also how much money changed hands. And then if you want to add in more data about your customers, where you were, any of that, then you can do that. But we, we're optimized to be quick and fast, and it's just an Android app. Yeah. And so even with the with the cache base and the, and the interface, you've really designed it. This explains your you know human-centered design background. You really designed it for the small business owner in sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah. I, I wouldn't even say that I designed it for them. I would say I designed it with them. So we have there's this the group of 26 that joined us for our pilot i actually see them in my head as founders because we went to them with practically nothing and it was their feedback we actually had them sketch screens we brought them into workshops there are features the the i owe them they owe me the fact that in these markets small business owners don't have credit cards they don't have working capital so they survive because of the payment terms they get from their suppliers but they also have to be very generous with the payment terms they give to their buyers. Like we have a user who makes sandals and she gives payment plans on one pair of sandals. And so buyers and suppliers and entrepreneurs are doing this intricate dance to manage each other's cash flow without access to capital. And because of that, they're always kind of doing, oh, I owe you this, you owe me that. And they're recording it on paper and they're losing the paper. And if you're not sure that someone owes you money, it's awkward to go ask them. So a lot of revenue is leaking out of the system in this. And that was something we hadn't thought about, but our users were like, well, yeah, what do I do when I 
I delivered the product, but I haven't got the money yet, and that means I can't put it in Ozai. And so it was really the users who added that feature, which is one of, I think, our most popular features. Yeah. And so how does Ozai imagine the future? You know, what's next for Ozai? Yeah, so we believe that we're going to be a platform on top of which all products and services for this demographic sit. So we want to be your trusted provider of the services you need to grow. We will build more than just data analytics. We have a whole product pipeline of things that we think we're best placed to co-create with our users and roll out. But we want to be players in this ecosystem. And there are, demographics are changing. You know, you see companies like Andela who are training hundreds of, of digital entrepreneurs who after a couple years of working for Andela, they're going to spin out into this ecosystem and they're going to want to create products and services. And we want to partner with them and allow them to build on top of the Oze platform so that if you're a small business owner and you need to grow, you have one place to go and you can get advice and you can figure out what products and services to use and you can operate like a modern business. If you want to tell us your story or nominate a Groundbreaker, visit our website at www.groundbreakerspodcast.com and make sure to subscribe on whatever medium you're using to listen to this podcast. Our show this week was produced by Anna Batson, and thank you so much for listening. I'm Sebastian DeBurs, and this is Groundbreakers, the story of social entrepreneurship.